Thank you, Mark, for walking us through those announcements. You'll see a lot more in the bulletin if you take a chance to read those. Again, welcome this morning, especially if you're visiting. We're glad that you are here. There's a portion in your bulletin that you can scan with your phone and get um, signed up for our emails and things like that. We'd love for you to get connected. and We'd love for you also to get connected to our community groups that are starting up here uh, very soon. They're a crucial way for us to experience community together and also grow in our faith together. Uh, and also, if you have questions about faith, it's a great place to be able to go and ask honestly and humbly and and be joyfully received and encouraged as you seek. Uh, We are starting a new series in Philippians this morning. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, Philippians is in the New Testament, and you'll see books like Galatians and then Ephesians, and Philippians is right after that. It's a letter written by Paul himself. And as we begin, I want to give you a little bit of background just to, to why Philippians exists, what it was written for, One of the things that happens in the book of Acts, this is Acts chapter 16, is is Paul and Luke and some others are sailing on a boat um, in a direction not in the direction of Philippi. And all of a sudden, um, the Holy Spirit tells them not to keep on heading in that direction. Uh, Instead, Paul receives a vision of a man saying, come help us. Come over to Macedonia and help us. And so being faithful to the vision that Paul had, he and Luke changed course and started sailing for Macedonia. And they land in Philippi. And they see a a group of women who have gathered together. And so Paul and the others start preaching to them. And it says that there was a woman there by the name of Lydia. And it says that God opened her heart uh, to know that what Paul said was true. And so we see Lydia come to faith there in Philippi. And then all of a sudden there's this other girl who comes along and she's a slave girl. And, and Paul interacts with her and shares the gospel with her. And then now all of a sudden there's this rise going on, this riot happening. And Paul gets put in jail. And there's this big earthquake and Paul gets out of jail. But the jailer thinks he's going to die because Paul has just left. And then Paul comes back and he says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul shares with the jailer and he says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And it says that the jailer and his whole household believed that was the beginning of the Philippian church. Um, A wealthy woman, a slave girl, and a jailer. And the church slowly grew from there. This was a church plant of Paul's. And eventually he felt called to, to go and to serve somewhere else, but to continue to love and serve this congregation. It's the healthiest congregation he's ever written in the New Testament. And so you'll notice in uh, Philippians, there's a lot of joy that he's expressing over the good things that are happening. There are so many evidences of grace that Paul hears about that he's writing them to joyfully celebrate with them God's work in their midst. But even as a young church plant, there's also some things that are happening. They've gone for a few years now, and uh, there's health there, there's joy there, but also he's just being realistic. Hey, there's some things that also need to be addressed. Uh, There's some division that's starting to happen. There's some complaining that's happening. There's some growth that needs to take place. And yes, even in chapter 4, you'll find out that there's a couple of people that are fighting, and it's really causing a stir. It's not just evidences of grace that Paul wants to joyfully celebrate with them, but also through Philippians, he's writing to say there's also significant issues that we need to address together in light of the gospel. But I love that one of the things that Paul will say in this letter as he writes, he says, I am a worker together with you for your joy. 
Uh, that's what I want us to have as we enter into this season of becoming an established church as we ourselves look to nominate leaders here in our midst. This is Paul's only letter that he addresses specifically the elders and the deacons. And I think it's going to be good for us to say, Lord, would you by your Holy Spirit, through Paul, work for us for our joy, for my joy, for your joy this morning. And so as we look at the very beginning of Philippians, Hopefully God instills with us this joy that's just infused all throughout this book of Philippians. And we're going to see three things. The gospel changes you. The gospel gives you a new identity. And the gospel is a continual message of God for you. With that being said, let's stand for the reading of God's word. Uh, we stand here at Oconee Fellowship joyfully because it's in reverence and joy at the one who is the king of kings and speaks to us through his word. So this morning it's Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the reading of God's word which he has given to you because he loves you and he wants you to know him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have spoken in your word, that you continue to speak through your word to us. And so, Father, we thank you for this letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians, infused with so much joy. Would you give us that joy this morning as we dive deeper in to this wonder of the gospel. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we want to look at first off is that the gospel changes you. Uh, I don't know about you, but one of the favorite things that I love to watch are stories of transformation. Uh, maybe it's homes. I used to frame houses, and so I love to see these shows where they take these houses that were kind of old and falling apart and windows are broken and they buy it for a certain amount but they're not quite sure if it's going to make it because it's just so hard to deal with and then someone else comes in and says I'll help you right and then about about three quarters of the way through the episode they have the big reveal there's always a nice little commercial break beforehand they're like they get you right up to it and then they pause and then they see the reveal right and everybody's eyes are just huge and everybody's excited most of the time there's tears and you just it's almost staggering to go how did we go from this over here to this right now well a lot of money and a lot of hard work and effort brought that about or maybe for me when i was younger um, my brother and i found this really trashy mustang in a field and uh, it was a 66 Mustang Fastback, for any of you who are curious. Uh, it had trees growing through the bottom of it. And uh, so my brother and I bought it for a very low price. But through working on it for a couple of years and putting a lot of our hard-earned money into it, we turned it into a nice car. And people would see that car and go, is that the same one you bought that had trees and weeds growing through it? And now it looks like this? Yes. And they would look at it and just be amazed at the transformation of how it went from this to that, we love stories of transformation. Uh, maybe for some of you, it's that little puppy dog that they find and it's all matted and scared and, and then all of a sudden they take it to the groomer and it becomes this precious little puppy and everybody loves it. How did that dog go from this to that? We love stories of transformation. 
And one of the first things that you see to the letter of the Philippians is who is writing this letter? Paul. I mean, if, if, let's just say this. If, if you were put, wanting to put a help wanted ad in the newspaper for the first missionary to the Gentiles, I mean, it might be something like this. Uh, I want to make sure that it's someone who um, dress, dresses nicely all the time, business, business casual, got really good grades in school, always says yes sir and yes ma'am, uh, watches Christian movies and only PG, only listens to Christian music, all that kind of stuff. They're calm, they're clean, they're courageous, and especially they're charismatic. That's the kind of person you want. But God didn't put a help wanted ad in the newspaper. He picked somebody. And his name was Paul. And when God picked Paul, at the time, he was a religious terrorist. Is that too much to say? Let me, let me kind of explain what I would call terrorism, the use of violence and intimidation to coerce religious conformity. Oh, Paul did that. He was there in the book of Acts when Stephen is being stoned for his Christianity and for pro proclaiming Christ. It says that Paul was right there. He wanted to eradicate the church. He hated the church. He despised the church. He hated the message of the gospel of a crucified Savior. And what is he doing now? He's been changed. He's been transformed. Not because he spent a lot of money and not because he put a lot of effort in, but because Jesus Christ died on a cross for sinners like Paul. Because Jesus Christ rose powerfully from the grave. Because Jesus Christ encountered Paul on a road and radically changed his life. Jesus paid the cost and Paul's life was changed. He wanted to destroy the church. Now he is a leader of the church, its servant. The gospel changes you. The gospel changed Paul. He was radically converted. You could say that Paul is a living, breathing illustration of the enormity and extravagance of God's grace. What about Timothy? What's he like? What's his story? Was he changed by the gospel? Well, his story is different. His story was that he grew up with a grandmother named Lois and a mother, both of whom had deep, strong faith who taught him the scriptures likely since he was a little boy and he likely came to faith at a very young age. He too was changed by the gospel in just as radical as a way. His, his story is one where now Timothy also is a living, breathing example and illustration of the enormity and extravagance of God's grace. But Paul and Timothy, as they write to the Philippians, the gospel has changed them. That's why Paul will write in another letter in, the second, in 2 Corinthians, he will say that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, and behold, the new has come. The gospel changes you. You know, that's a, a reminder for many of us this morning. Is if you're here this morning and you're believing in Christ, it's because the gospel changed you. That the Holy Spirit, through the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, crucified for sinners, has radically changed your life. Whether you have a story like Paul, whether you have a story like Timothy, or whether you have a unique story that is your own, which all of us have, the gospel changes you. Or it's an invitation. Do you see Paul? Do you see the kind of hard heart he had? 
Do you see how he was in rebellion against God? Or maybe this morning it's not rebellion, you're simply indifferent. You hear it because someone invited you. It's also an invitation to you to say you too can be changed by the gospel. You too can be made a new creature in Christ by listening to the gospel that Paul is going to proclaim. But the gospel changes you. But it also changes your posture towards the world and everyone in it. You'll notice what, again what Paul says in chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. In the same book of Philippians chapter 2, towards the end of chapter 2, he'll say, everyone looks after their own interests. He's saying, listen, apart from grace, the natural disposition of Clay Werner's heart, of your heart, is towards selfishness, being bent in on ourselves, thinking about me and my and mine. And when the gospel comes into our hearts, one of the things that Paul will say in Galatians chapter 5 is that it makes us servants. We've been bought with the price, the, the precious blood of Jesus. We are no longer our own. The will that we follow is no longer simply our will. We want to do the will of Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. And so Paul says that here, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. The gospel has humbled them. The gospel has called them to say, your life is no longer about your life, but serving others in the name of Christ. Now, we're all called to serve in a general way. Paul was called to serve in a very specific way as a capital A apostle, as a capital A ambassador, with a capital A authority that comes from Christ himself to speak on behalf of God. But still, we're all called to be servants how the gospel changes you is that how you see your own life i am a servant of those around me whatever tangible things they need whatever meaningful way i can engage god has called me to be a servant to all around me the gospel changes you just like it did paul and timothy and it changes your orientation towards the world you become a servant but it doesn't just change you you can see, secondly, that it also changes your identity. You'll notice who he's writing to as he moves forward. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. So these are the people that he is writing to. But you'll notice, first off, he uses the language of to all. To everyone in particular, not just to everyone in general. He wants every single person to listen to what he has to say, to read what he has to write. And so by saying all, he's saying to the passionately devoted in Philippi, I'm writing to you. To ones who really understand the gospel and are trying to grow in the gospel, I am writing for you who are passionately devoted. But he's also writing to the ones in Philippi who are constantly distracted even to the ones who are constantly distracted by all the things that are happening in Philippi, such a major metropolitan area, so many things to take your attention away, so many things to distract you from the things of God. He goes, yes, I'm writing to you too. Not just to the passionately devoted, but maybe also to the constantly distracted, and also to the possibly drifting. To all the saints in Philippi, even some of you who may be drifting in some way. He's, he's writing to them. 
Uh, he'll say in chapter 2 that some are critical and complaining. And he'll say also, hey, to those who are critical complaining, to you too, I write this, to all the saints, to the ones who are hurting, to the ones who are struggling, to all the saints, every single one. And you know, it's not only to all, but he uses this language of to the saints. Now, I wonder what comes up in your mind as you think of the saints. Maybe for you, it's a football team with football season coming up. Uh, maybe for you, it's someone who's basically the equivalent of a spiritual Navy SEAL. I mean, they've gone through all this training. They are the elite. They are the special ones. They are the ones that get it done. They're the saints, the ones who kind of leave home and go to a foreign place, and they serve in the hardest place possible, and they've done all kinds of things. They've given their whole life to this. They've got a halo around their head. That's a saint. And he goes, no, you remember the all that I just wrote about? It's to all, and they are all saints. You'll notice that he doesn't label them or us by our sins. Uh, to the angry and selfish, lustful and lazy and prideful people of Philippi. He doesn't label them like that. He doesn't label them by their sin. He doesn't label them by their suffering. He doesn't say to the sick and lonely, hurting and discouraged. Yes, it's to them, but he doesn't label them by their suffering. He doesn't label them by their state, the place where they live. He doesn't say to those in Philippi, the Roman province of Macedonia. He doesn't primarily identify them by what country or state or province that they live in. He labels them not by their sin or ours, not by their suffering or yours, nor by their state or ours. He labels them by their status in Christ. To the saints in Christ. This isn't something that you've done spiritually to achieve this, this status, like a video game that you work really hard and you reach this level and now you're this, this status. Okay? It's when you believe in Jesus Christ alone and receive the gospel, the label that's now given to you is saint. Is that hard for you to believe this morning? Like, like me? A saint? I mean, what, what it really means is holy ones. To the holy ones of Philippi. Some of them can go, I don't feel so holy. And he goes, to the holy ones, to the saints. Because Saint here means to the ones who, by God's grace, have been set apart by God, for God. It's a status that is given to you in the gospel to all the saints in Philippi, to all the saints at Oconee Fellowship. The Holy Spirit has written this letter. It is a status that is freely given to you that you will have now and always a status you can never lose, an identity that can never be taken away. If you genuinely look to Christ, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to the saints in Philippi. And so this morning, believer, if that's you, that's your identity, saint. If you're here this morning, you have questions about believing in the gospel, who is Christ or what has he done? Listen, all of us find our identity in something. We might find it in our job. We might find it in our success. We might find it in our grades. We might find it in our friend group. We might find it in 
uh, where we live. We might find it in our community. We might find it in our sexuality. We might find it in a thousand different ways. But an identity rooted in anything or anyone other than Jesus is fragile and temporary. And the gospel gives you an identity that will never change. Holy One, set apart by God, for God, by the grace of God, alone. Again, I think the vast majority of people who are sitting there going, saints, really? I mean, Paul says the same things to the Corinthians. And if you know anything about the Corinthians, they're a mess. I mean, royal mess. I can't even begin to describe the mess to the saints in Corinth. Saints, really? Yeah, that, that's your identity, given to you not by yourself, but by Christ. It's freely given now that you will genuinely possess always. But you'll also notice that some of those are called to lead to the overseers and deacons. And we'll get to that here in just a moment. But Paul used uses a very important phrase, and he says, to all the saints, and where does it say that they are first? Can you see it? To all the saints in Christ Jesus. Very important phrase there. Paul loves that phrase, in Christ. It's one of his phrases that he uses more often than any other phrase in all of his letters. To believe in Jesus is to be in Christ, to be united of him. Now, some of you maybe saw this this week, this is just the kind of guy I am. I'm fascinated by this. Some of you know that Virgin Galactic just sent their second space shuttle into space with paying customers. All right, it's kind of space tourism now that's getting very popular. They went a mere 55 miles above Earth, 290,000 feet at the very edge of space in our own atmosphere. Three passengers. Uh, they experienced weightlessness for quite some time. If you would like to have that experience yourself, it'll only cost you $250,000. But if you have that sitting in the bank, you can go on that trip. It was a mother-daughter duo and another guy. And it was the first time an entirely female crew was the flight crew, which was another historic moment. And they experienced what uh, some scientists describe all astronauts experience when they leave Earth for the first time and see Earth from such a distance in space, it's called the overview effect. And let me describe what that is. It's a sense of awe and transcendence. It's a greater appreciation for beauty is what they tend to experience having been in space looking down on Earth. It's unexpected emotions welling up. An increased sense of connection with others and perhaps most deeply and importantly, it is the experience of total transformation, not only of one's values, most come back wanting to serve more, but also a fundamental transformation of your view of yourself. The overview effect. But the only way it could happen is if they were in the space shuttle. I don't think anybody uh, had the calf muscles to jump that high. Couldn't do it on their own. But you strap them to a space shuttle that has that kind of powerful fuel in it and that kind of powerful engine, and it could get them to 290,000 feet, 55 miles in the air, where they experience the overview effect and a fundamental transformation of who they think they are. A greater appreciation of beauty, a better connection to others. And when Paul says, to the saints in Christ, He's saying, 
You didn't get in there on your own. You were placed in Christ on your own. You have a greater appreciation, a sense of the transcendence of the glory of God, a sense of his beauty, and a fundamental transformation of who you are. You are now a saint in Christ. Not simply the overview effect of seeing earth from space, but the spiritual effect of seeing yourself from God's perspective in Christ to the saints in Philippi. And he also notices, we'll just spend a little time on here, but he lists the officers, the overseers, and deacons. He's saying, listen, there's some things to really celebrate. You should be encouraged, elders and deacons. But there's also some things happening. So you're responsible for those things, and you'll also be held accountable. So Paul is specifically naming them to say overseers, the one that oversee and are responsible for the spiritual health of the church, the care of its members, its outward face towards the community, and the deacons, those who are called to, to serve in tangible ways the material needs of those within the walls of that church. He's writing to them. But the gospel changes you. It changes who you are. It changes your fundamental orientation towards others in this world. It makes you a servant. The gospel is, is to all in Philippi and to all of us here. It's to all the saints who are in Christ Jesus. And lastly, the gospel is a continual message to you. You'll notice that what Paul does not say is his message is not one of anxious desperation. What do I mean by that? Do you know where Paul is writing this letter from? He's writing it from jail. Paul is in prison. And if I was writing this and I was in prison, I would tempted to be say to say Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, get us out of prison. Do whatever it takes. I haven't had Chick-fil-A in 2 weeks and they don't even have Apple TV here. Come on. Hurry up. Make it fast. Anxious desperation, nor is it graceless confrontation. Uh, maybe I would write the letter like this, knowing that some cracks are starting to show. As much as it's a healthy church, some cracks are starting to show. And this is how if Paul was only writing on Paul's behalf, this is what he might say. Bear with me. Troublemakers, I am so sick and tired of how difficult you make my life. All I hear about from others who know you and all I experience from you is arguing, complaining, fighting, and rampant selfishness. I know you've helped me in my mission. I know you've been generous in a financial gift for me. And I know you do some good things. But the thing that really gets under my skin is how little progress you've made in the faith and how close you are as a church and as individuals to imploding and completely destroying your witness for Christ. Stop it. Get your act together. Next time I come, I want to see you thrown the troublemakers out and have learned to get along. Udiah and Syntyche, these are the two women who are fighting in the church right now, seriously, grow up. Don't be a pain anymore. Oh, I forgot to tell you. I love you. I hope to see you soon. Your apostle, Paul. I love that Paul does not write out of anxious desperation. And he does not write out of graceless confrontation. You see, Paul is not writing for Paul in this letter. Paul is writing on behalf of God because Paul is an ambassador called 
to share with others the word that he receives from his Father and our Father and his Savior and our Savior. And you can see what his message is. Not, not in any way anxious desperation or graceless confrontation, but gospel proclamation. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. Here is the continual message they need to hear. They heard it when Paul came first to Philippi, and they need, they need to hear it again years later. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What is God's message to all the saints at Philippi? Not, come on, get it together. Grace. Peace. What's grace? Uh, grace is popularly defined as unmerited favor. I'd say that's accurate to an extent, but is not really adequate. What's more adequate and accurate is to say that grace is favor in light of extreme demerit. We've done everything to rebel against God. We've done everything to be indifferent to his ways, and still he shows us mercy grace and peace, wholeness, flourishing, wellness, thriving, spiritually, emotionally, all those ways. Well, who gives that message? Is that just Paul well-wishing them? And you'll notice when Paul says this in verse 2, he says, grace to you and peace from who? From God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's as if he's coming and saying, hey Philippians, I got a message from God the Father and Jesus. And you almost wonder if, if they have a sense of their own hearts going, what is it? How much is he going to criticize? First message, grace and peace. Yeah, but I did this this week with my kids and I, was, I just really wasn't happy about that. And I, Grace and peace to you. Well, at school I said this to this one person. It was really not got grace and peace to you. Well, I'm still struggling with this, and it's been years I've had any freedom there, but I'm still struggling. I long for Jesus to free me from grace and peace to you. I feel really dull in my quiet times. In fact, I haven't really read in a long time. I want to read more. It's just hard. Grace and peace to you. There are no qualifications here. If you are a saint in Christ Jesus, the message to the Philippians then and the message to you this morning is not just the message of the gospel that you need to hear back then when you came to Christ, but the message that you need to hear right now and the continual message that you need to hear from God himself, the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. What is God's will for you this morning? That you receive that grace and experience that peace. That is what Paul is wanting the Philippians back then to know. That is what the Spirit this morning wants you to know. To receive that grace and peace. In view of the fullness of what Christ has done for you on the cross because he loves sinners so much. Is that the letter that you would expect if you were in Philippi? That Paul's writing. He's showing that the gospel changes you. That he's also showing to the saints that the, the gospel gives you a new identity. And it also shows you that it's a continual message that you need to hear. Wherever you are, whatever you're going through, if you look to Christ, grace and peace. And do you realize this morning, if you haven't yet looked to Christ, that offer is there for you this morning. Outside of Christ, no grace, 
no peace, and you've probably experienced that lack of peace inside. And Jesus this morning and God the Father are saying, come to Jesus, and you'll hear the words from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, pronounced over you if you look to Christ by faith. Grace and peace. The gospel changes you. It gives you a new identity. And it's the continual message from God that every single one of us in this room needs to hear. Let me end by saying this. Some of you know that I really enjoy J.I. Packer. He was, I think, to theology what Muhammad Ali was to boxing. He is just a giant of the faith, okay? And in one of his books on Scripture, he says, you know, one of, the, one of the things he was very fond of is when Paul says, we as Christians can say with Paul that Christ loved me and gave himself for me. But Packer goes on to say this, we can equally say that God loved me and wrote the Bible for me. The letter of Philippians wasn't just written to them back then. The letter of Philippians is written by God for you, to you, all of you this morning. So that you can see that the gospel changes you. That it gives you a new identity. And it's the continual message that you need to hear. Christ loved you. He gave himself for you. God has loved you. He has written this letter for you. And I'm eager to dive into it with you that our joy would be full. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this book and for the grace that you have for us in it. And I pray, Father, if there's anyone here who needs to experience that gospel change, that you, Holy Spirit, would bring that about, that they would look to Christ alone, by faith alone, by your grace alone. Father, that you would remind all of us, all of us who are struggling in some way, that if we look to Christ, we are saints in Christ Jesus and always will be, not because we are the spiritual elite, but because, Jesus, you've been so faithful to us and you always will be. And, Jesus, that we always need to hear your message of grace and peace. Help us receive that this morning and experience it. We ask it all in your powerful name. Amen.